Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-mid year, session number 517. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are not subscribed to The Pre-Med Years so that you get every podcast episode directly to your device for free, What are you waiting for? Subscribe. Don't just listen on the website randomly when you remember. Subscribe for free or follow for free, whatever language the kids are using these days. This week, we have a great guest, Victor, who overcame a lot on his journey to medical school. We're going to hear how his indigenous background is driving him to be a physician, to serve the community that he was raised in. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. And I just want to talk about the MCAT podcast for a second. A lot of you don't know that I have another podcast called the MCAT Podcast that I host with Blueprint MCAT. It is completely free MCAT prep that you can listen to while you're working out, on your car rides, wherever you are listening to podcasts for free, helping you maximize your MCAT score. Go check it out, mcatpodcast.com, or use the podcast app that you're using right now to subscribe. Just search for it, MCAT Podcast. That's it. That's the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Go check them out at blueprintmcat.com. All right, let's go ahead and jump in, say hello to Victor, and hear about his amazing journey so far. Victor, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat about your journey to where you are now as a third-year medical student, but let's let's rewind way back to the beginning. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? I first realized I wanted to be a doctor uh, when I was in middle school. I suffered a, a terrible injury while I was in uh, my tribal villages. The Yaki tribe has, um, as one of the tribes I'm from, we have uh, eight villages in Mexico and I was visiting family over there from my tribe and uh, I suffered a, a terrible burn accident and uh, in the villages we didn't have health care uh, nearby during this emergency and in order to get you know the the care that I needed I ended up having to get three skin grafts I was in the hospital uh, for about two months I had to travel um, Uh, really far from my community by car and it it made me realize the cost of lack of access to medical care 
uh, in my indigenous communities. And that was one of the, the uh, driving forces behind me starting to think more about what I could do to help. And then that led to me uh, thinking, you know, maybe I could be a doctor. Yeah. yeah. But before your accident, seeing what that lack of access did for you, were you aware or were you still young and you didn't really understand those implications? In a way, I was aware uh, because I grew up steeped in activism, indigenous activism, my family. Uh, many of them were activists for indigenous rights. And in many ways, that included health uh, because, you know, they're very, they're very intertwined. And so I grew up, you know, going to protests, uh, always at meetings that my family, you know, were gathered at with indigenous peoples all over the US, uh, all over the world, hearing about the health issues just secondhand as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, there with the other kids. And so I knew that, you know, I knew that we had struggles with health. Uh, I didn't fully understand, you know, all the policies behind it and, you know, get into the nitty gritty of, of why we had those. But yeah, yeah I knew they were there and I, I saw them in my community as well. I think as a kid growing up uh, just firsthand, you know, with family, but also with other community members as, as well. Yeah. So yeah. for you having that experience, uh, experiences, uh, having the personal experience of your injury being in the hospital for a couple months, whether it's uh, students that I'm talking to who, who are indigenous, students who I'm talking to who are religious, who are Orthodox Jewish, who are uh, coming from the the inner cities where where there's no examples of people like themselves being physicians what what made you think oh yeah that that that'll be me i'll be the change here that's a really good question uh cuz i didn't meet a native physician until i was in my junior year of undergrad wow and yeah so that that was a big moment for me as well and i think before that it was something i wanted to do and i was trying my best but i it never really solidified in my mind um, that this vision what, uh, is, is something that, uh, that I was fully confident in, you know, before seeing a native physician, I, I feel like I didn't really have the blueprint. I didn't have, uh, the rule book. And once I saw and met this native physician, it changed my mind in a way, made me more confident, uh, and before that, yeah, I felt like I was just kind of, you know, just trying my best and 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 it was hard to see myself uh, in that position, you know, because uh, if, you know, if you can see yourself in, in a position, I think it, it creates, uh, it creates a lot more opportunity in your mind, it opens up your mind to the potential. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So what kept you going? You don't meet a native physician until your junior year. I'm assuming your pre-med, your 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 freshman sophomore years. What what kept you motivated and I'm assuming academically still capable of getting to medical school 
during that time if you didn't have kind of a that that tangible aspect of I can do this? I think it was my communities. Uh, you know, leaving my communities for the four years of undergrad, I went to Ithaca College, which was far away from both of my tribes and just recognizing the privilege that I had to be at undergrad, to be uh, in the position that I was in, knowing that, you know, a lot of kids from both of my communities don't make it to college and, uh, and feeling the responsibility that I needed to do my best because I'm here and uh, I'm part of my communities and to be the best community member I could, I need to do the best that I could with what I had at, at that time. And so that was driving me and I, I, and I just had faith that as long as I was doing well, trying my best, uh, that later down the road, the opportunities would open up for me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. What, what was the hardest part about the, the journey for you, uh, especially the undergrad journey? The undergrad journey, I, I think, was difficult the first two years primarily, getting used to it, uh, coming from an educational background where, you know, I did okay in high school, uh, but my high school was one of those schools that was highly underfunded, uh, in a poor neighborhood, uh, primarily poor students. Uh, primarily Latino native uh, students and uh, the educational quality I felt was not commensurate with what I was experiencing on the ground at undergrad now and that hit me and I didn't feel like I had the tools the academic tools how do I study how do I adapt to this and at the same time not having native community really um, established anymore because Ithaca College, I was one of, definitely one of the only natives. Um, might have been the only native in my class. I didn't know of any others. And, you know, so dealing with all of that at the same time, uh, I think was difficult. And I, I, along the way, you know, figuring out how to adapt to the new situation, going out into the community, finding my own community, finding indigenous connections, because that's something that I knew that I needed uh, to be, you know, a healthy person. Uh, and, and just working towards, you know, towards that. Sometimes you have to build, you have to build it on your own. It's not always going to be there. And yeah. for me, I felt like yeah. that, uh, that was my case. And I, and the first two years I was struggling to do that. And then afterwards, I think it was a lot better. Do do you think the, those, the, those struggles, the first two years, do you think you weren't being intentional, um, like those those opportunities you could have created during your first few years, but you just didn't know you could. You didn't give yourself permission. Nobody else gave you permission. What what do you think was the big shift between you creating opportunities and and you not creating opportunities? What what was that difference? I think my first two years I was in somewhat of a survival mode. Mm. Uh trying my best to keep my grades up to stay afloat for me that was my main priority and not having the experience uh of 
the academic rigor where uh, I knew how to handle this workload and, and how difficult it was, I think, uh, you know, setting a schedule for myself, having regularity, knowing like as a human being, as an, as an adult now in the world, I need this amount of sleep. I need these boundaries uh, and just healthy patterns, you know, and so oftentimes I think I would, sometimes I would overwork myself. Other times um, I think I had a lot of exam anxiety because I, I didn't have that high quality. I didn't have that high rigor of examinations before mm -hmm. uh, in my high school. And yeah, I think, you know, just anxiety in general about, about the academics and, and then that flowed into, you know, maybe some unhealthy, uh, patterns that you know later on balanced style I figured things out but uh yeah I think that was that was definitely the main struggle and and when you know when you're in survival mode it's hard to think about other things that yeah you know you could be more yeah. obviously yeah more intentional was, about and so that was, was a struggle too I was just gonna say that right so survival mode's a good way of putting it uh just just a complete lack of bandwidth for anything outside of surviving uh and, and that is that is exactly uh, I think a good way to um, to characterize a lot of uh, not not just your journey but a lot of people who are uh, um, disadvantaged, underserved, uh, and they just it's <laughs> a lot of people don't yeah. understand being in that situation or like oh just like why can't you do it? <laughs> They're like ah like I have literally no bandwidth to to be able to think about anything <laughs> other than just surviving right now. Um it's exactly. that's hard. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, as you went through your journey, um were there were there times where either someone told you you couldn't do it, you told yourself you couldn't do it that you were just ready to to give up and move on? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, no one ever told me, like, you aren't going to be able to do this. I was told uh, maybe I don't have the grades mm -hmm. or maybe I didn't have the scores. Uh, maybe I didn't have the the personality or the focus. Uh, and so maybe assigning sort of character values to my work ethic or you know, how I was doing at the time in classes towards future performance and people maybe inserting some questions in there. Like, you know, do is there anything else you want to do? Uh, like, not that you can't do this, but have you considered other options? And, uh, and I was, you know, hundred percent focused on being a doctor. Uh, I didn't want to do anything else. And so just, a lot of people, I think I had to say, you know, no, like, I want to figure this out. Uh, I'm fully committed to staying on this path. Uh, how do I do that? Like, how can I adapt to the situation to make myself a better candidate for med school? Uh, for instance, I think, you know, there were classes in my first, second year I wasn't doing well in that I had to retake. And, uh, and I just had to do that. And, uh, primarily, I think classes that involve math, because when, where I was coming from, uh, I felt I didn't really get the right, uh, the proper education in mathematics at my at my high school. Mm. And I came in to these, you know, calculus classes in college and, and things like that. Uh, and I just felt I wasn't at 
the level that I needed to be at. And uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of times I just had to understand that maybe from the outside, the people might have thought my path to medicine might have been slim or the chances would be slim because of how I was doing and just recognizing maybe some some truth in in what they're seeing that I was struggling and that I did have weaknesses I needed to address and figuring out how to address them and throwing away all of the stuff where uh, where people might have thought that that uh, that I the chances were slim and, and not thinking about that, just thinking about how I can adjust to it. Yeah. You, yeah. Getting into medical school is not easy. Uh, being uh, from an indigenous community doesn't give you a free pass to not do well in, in any part of your journey. So how did you overcome those early struggles to be able to show medical schools, look, I I am capable of doing well in medical school. Yes, I've had some bumps in the roads. And yes, my stats may not be as exemplary as as you may want. But this is who I am. And coming from where I've come from, that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, my whole thing in undergrad was uh, as long as I maintained uh, a certain you know GPA that, that I was aiming for I set a realistic goal uh, that I would show medical schools who I was outside of my scores and my grades and uh, so I got really involved in in leadership and that was really important to me uh, coming from almost a legacy of indigenous rights organization uh, and uh, and activism. And so I just focused almost outside of academics, almost completely on that and making connections uh, in the indigenous rights space. And that brought me to so many places. It opened up so many opportunities. I mean, being in Ithaca, I was very close to New York City and I started getting involved in uh, the United Nations. Wow. And yeah, from my first year of undergrad uh, all the way, you know, even still to this day, uh, being involved more and more in the United Nations and indigenous rights work there, I think it showed uh, medical schools that, that I was super serious about these health issues that weren't impacting my community. I was out there trying to do something about it. And also I I felt like it was really important for me to do what I, what I could do anything I could to maintain connections with my communities, because that I feel was my strength uh, that as a physician, as a future physician, they would see that I had such strong ties to my communities that investing in me was an investment in my communities, in the thousands of, of people who are part of my communities and the future generations. And I wanted to show them that that, that is true. Uh, and so all along the way, I was very transparent about my goals, about you know that I wanted to go back to my communities. And uh, and I think, you know, in my applications and, and things like that, it just shown through that that I was someone who had strong connections to where I came from and I was doing this all 
on behalf of those connections. How much pressure does much that pressure? add to you? Like, it's like you are, are one person with the weight of history, like literally on your shoulders and, and these communities on your shoulders. In one sense, I feel like it's not pressure because for us, I think it's rather normal. Uh, I mean, the way that I was taught growing up is that as a community member, you always think about the people. You always think about the people. You always pray for the people. Everything you do is for the people uh, and for future generations. And so I think when everyone has that mindset, it takes a lot of the weight off. And I think most people in our community do have that mindset. Everyone is, in my experience, uh, so generous, so generous and trying to help each other, you know, the best way that they can. And obviously we do have a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges that a lot of them are based in, you know, historical oppression that, you know, it's still lingering in our communities, uh, facing these, these systemic obstacles and everyone is still in my experience doing the best that they can to help each other. So that's, that's what I grew up seeing. And yeah, I didn't feel it was pressure in that sense, but when you take, uh, a native youth and put them in an environment where they don't really have that many other natives uh, that, you know, they don't really have that indigenous community. Like I, like I did in undergrad, you know, was one of the only native students mm. all of a sudden when there were native issues to push for uh, I found myself often the only one speaking up because they're, they're just the numbers weren't there. Yeah. And if there were more, more of us in the institution, if there were, you know, well, I think when the, when there's more natives uh, at the university, it also allows us to support one another. And so thinking back, I think it would have been really helpful in, in a lot of those instances where I was the only uh, native in the room. I was the only native in the program, in the department, and I had to speak up on something and put myself out there, which is sometimes a risk. It would have been really nice to have other natives there who could stand up with me because that kind of diffuses the risk and, uh, and, and you know, also allows us to support each other outside of those uh, sort of those pushes and those drives for, for uh, more recognition of, of who we are. Yeah. How, how do you... Yeah translate that into uh those experience into to being a physician and being a, a medical student uh are, are you utilizing some of those um advocacy skills and uh and we're all in this together kind of mentality as a, a medical student now and and how do you think you'll use that as a, a future doctor not obviously as a physician for your community but uh, a physician with other physicians that that new community that you'll also be a part of mm, yeah well i still you know stand up uh and i feel like i have to stand up often because i've realized natives are still quite invisible in the field of medicine mm. not only by numbers but even our health issues uh the last statistic i saw uh, was that 11% of medical, only 11% of medical schools have curriculum on indigenous health. Hmm. And uh, we're the least represented race in medicine. Uh, 
And so oftentimes, for instance, in, in, uh, in my second year, there was, uh, uh, anti-racism and medical and in medicine course at Harvard medical school and native Americans were completely missing from the curriculum over like eight weeks. Uh, no mention of us. And, and I, I was one of those instances where, I had to speak up and there's so many instances like that. And still to this day in medicine, I'm often the only one there, uh, you know, to, to say something because this is my experience. It's my humanity. And I feel like I have to say something. And, you know, so I still do that quite often. And I think I've developed over time, better strategies to do it uh, more effective pathways to go down sometimes figuring out when i shouldn't do it when i need to conserve my energy for instance when i'm studying for step one like right now (laughs) and uh (laughs) and yeah and just on the back end focusing on uh on building you know solutions because i i knew that I was going to face challenges in medicine and I was going to be someone because of who I am and how I was raised, who was going to speak up. Uh, but I knew that I couldn't just do that, that on the back end, I had to be someone who uh, had real solutions because I didn't want to be someone who just talked about the problems. I wanted to be someone who, yeah, mentioned, you know, brought up issues, but also put forth solutions. And so I've been focusing at Harvard Medical School uh, I've developed indigenous health curriculum for the school. I've, uh, I created a, uh, I co-founded a pipeline program for native youth from tribal colleges to Harvard medical school. Uh, and you know, I've been doing stuff like that. That's fulfilling to me right now. We're, we're creating a rotation for Harvard medical students on my reservation and, uh, just being a solution maker as well, I think, you know, has been really important to me and, figuring out how to go about this in a way where, uh, where people know that I'm not just someone complaining that I'm someone who really, really cares about this and I'm going to do something about it too. Yeah. I I think that is such a, a, a great mentality to have, whether you're advocating for someone or something, uh, or people, um, or you're just, a regular old employee working in the the hospital and you um have issues with what's going on uh, as as someone who runs a company i i loathe when people come to me with problems and don't have solutions also in store and and ready to go with like hey ryan like here are some things i'm seeing and here are some ways that we can address those things so from the smallest little thing to the biggest thing advocating for a community of people and and um for anti-racism stuff like coming with solutions is one of the best things that anyone can do to move us along i I think is is huge so victor um Obviously, you have a huge mission ahead of you um, and and behind you that that has been pushing you to to get to this point now being a medical student. When you look at your future career, how much do you think your future career is going to be the one-on-one patient care um, in these indigenous populations on reservations or wherever that they're 
you're treating patients versus being someone who is a voice for the this population, this community, and, and these tribes that that are forgotten, right? Forgotten by Harvard Medical School during this anti-racism course, like just just completely uh, forgotten there. How, how much do you think you're going to be out as a voice and advocating for policy change for whatever it is versus being on the ground taking care of people? Have Have you thought about what that future looks like for you? Yeah, I think about that all the time, um, being on working on the systemic level versus the individual level, uh, the community level. And it's something I'm still, you know, I'm still figuring it out, to be quite honest. But I know that I want to work with people. Uh, I want to work with my community on the individual level. I know that the very least, you know, the the uh, my foundation as, as a physician, I want it to be uh patient centered i want i want to work with people from my tribes and right now i'm uh i'm pretty much almost set on pediatrics uh and i want to work with native youth from my community and you know have a clinical practice where they can see me and uh you know and outside of that uh with whatever free time, you know, that I have, I, I think I'm going, I'm going to try to continue to advocate uh, for the policy solutions. And that might be at the community level, you know, it might be at the international level, at the UN as well. But one of the ways in medical school uh, that I've really, really uh, become attached to in terms of being able to advocate for issues in the public sphere, well, uh, in, a, in a way where you can still focus on your clinical duties, for me, is writing. And I've, uh, I've yeah, veered towards writing as, as a mode of uh, my own sort of advocacy, where I could still be in the clinic and then maybe, you know, put out an article every couple of weeks on an issue that our people are facing that impacts our health. And that's been a way that I've stayed connected to these issues as a medical student uh, as well. And so I see myself being a, a writer using, continuing to use writing to advocate uh, in the lay press and, you know, uh, could be, you know, journals as well. And uh, yeah, from time to time going to, to places to advocate as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I do really, I've been away for so long and for, you know, for undergrad and for med school, obviously I've been able to go back at times, but I found that, uh, that I'm at my best when I'm in the community, when I'm with community members. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's what makes me really excited. For the student listening to this, who may be coming from, uh, an oppressed community from a disadvantaged background who doesn't have that physician role model that that tangible thing that they can see that they're they're going for like you didn't have until you were a junior in college what what kind of final words of wisdom do you have for them to keep going on this journey to go and and make opportunities happen for them if they have the bandwidth to to seek out mentors and to to keep driving on this this path? Yeah, I would say never give up. 
keep fighting. Don't let anybody stand in your way in terms of telling you that you can't do something. Uh, it's never too late as well. I've seen, you know, a lot of my classmates also had um, hearing their stories about, you know, how they got to medical school. Some of them are in their 30s and 40s and uh, the path isn't always linear, you know. And so for the people who, you know, maybe always wanted to be a doctor, um, but they had kids early or maybe always wanted to be a doctor, but they were only able to get their GED and they, uh, you know, had to start taking care of their family and weren't able to go to undergrad. Uh, if that is your dream, it's never too late to figure out how to, how to achieve that. And there are so many different pathways. Uh, community colleges, I found, are, are one of the best pathways that I've seen for disadvantaged students uh, who often face a nonlinear pathway because community colleges often have all the pre-med requisites that you need to apply to medical school and they're affordable and uh, tribal colleges as well for indigenous students on reservations. Uh, tribal colleges are a great, great pathway into any of the health professions as well and uh, a great starting place, I think, uh, for those thinking about starting that educational journey. And so I would say just keep pushing. Um, we face a lot of challenges in this world, but we also come from really strong and resilient people. And uh, that is passed on to us as well. So we can, you know, we can do what we need to do for our communities. We can achieve that. What can uh, someone who's not indigenous, who, who doesn't understand what it's like to grow up um, in, in those communities, what, what can they do to support what you're trying to do and support all of those patients who need, who need their support? For non-Indigenous people in medicine, I think the thing to focus on is helping to get more Natives in the room, helping to get more Natives in medical school, more Native faculty. Uh, I think, you know, there's so many solutions I could give, but the reality is there are over 500 uh, unique tribal nations in the U.S., and I only come from two of them. Uh, we all, you know, we have, we're all unique. We all have different cultures. We all have our own governments, uh, our own languages. And I can't speak to every single one of them, which is why we need more of us in the room, the people who can. We need more, more people from, um, from all of our tribes in the rooms to be able to, you know, because we have a unique understanding of the issues that communities face and that that creates so much potential for our impact in medicine right now, because a lot of those solutions are not at the table. They're not being brought to the table because the people aren't at the table. So figuring out how to push in your institutions for greater recruitment and support of indigenous medical students, of indigenous pre-medical students, uh, and uh, recruiting indigenous faculty as well. All right, there you have it. That was Victor, his journey to medical school. You can learn more about him on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same username, V-L-O Carmen, C-A-R-M-E-N. That's V as in Victor, L-O Carmen. 
Go check him out, Instagram, Twitter, say hello. Let him know you heard about him here on the podcast. Hope you have a great week. Don't forget to check out the MCAT podcast with our partners, Blueprint MCAT. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Pre-Mid Years. This is MedEd Media.